This message was not originally part of my series plan. It wasn't really a spiritual discipline that I had thought about including in this uh, study that we're going through, but through God's providence, I, I felt the need to um, share this message today, and I'm praying it'll be useful to all of us. Uh, most of you in this room probably already know, as, as Brother Randy kind of um, alluded to, this has been a hard week for me and my family. Let me first say um, to those of you who've been praying, who've reached out with support this week, thank you so much. That means a great deal to us. We're very grateful for you. I'm grateful for, for the prayers and for the support. For those of you who may not know, uh, let me just briefly share what's, what's happened because it kind of will impact this message and what, um, what I'm talking about today. About two weeks ago, uh, my wife and I went to the doctor's office and we had an ultrasound done and confirmed that the Lord had blessed us with another pregnancy. Malia was um, just five weeks along at that point, and uh, we, we knew that that's typically too early to be able to see a heartbeat um, on an ultrasound, but the Lord was so kind to us that uh, as they did the ultrasound, the doctor got very excited and said, I can, I can see a heartbeat right here, and she showed it to us, and uh, we, we got to see that. It was, it was amazing. We left that day feeling very blessed and very excited that things were looking um, good so early on. There was a lot happening in those two weeks, other things that, um, that we were dealing with, and so we, we, being so early, hadn't really sat down to figure out how we were going to share the good news with everybody. Um, and then on Tuesday of this last week, we, we had some concerns, and we immediately called our doctor's office. They told us to come in, and uh, after an exam and two ultrasounds, they confirmed that we'd lost this baby to another miscarriage um, just seven weeks along this time. Um, those of you who are part of our church family for a while, you know that we, we walked through this in November with a, another miscarriage, and there was a lot of complications that came with that. Um, that was really made this very hard news to hear um, again that we, we had this before us. And so we went back um, on Wednesday. We had follow-ups and tried to figure out what would be next physically. The complications that happened in November ended up requiring Malia to have two surgeries, and um, because of that, the doctor wants to keep a really close eye on her, and uh, there's more tests that they need to run, and maybe, hopefully, we're praying there'll be some answers found um, in this next couple weeks, but we're still in the process of waiting for all of that. So it was Thursday when, because of everything happening Tuesday and Wednesday, I, I um, was able, because my mother-in-law came up and was able to be with Malia and Julia and stay with, with them, it was my first chance to really sit down and begin to plan um, the work for this, this gathering this morning. And as I was doing that, I felt the need to just speak more personally and more um, pastorally. Today, setting aside my planned sermon from this, the series, we're going to come back to that. We'll wrap up. We have two more sermons left in that. We'll, we'll end right in time for Easter. And, and my prayer has just been that as I kind of share from my heart today and what's been going on um, in my own life, my own spiritual life the last couple of days, um, that it'll be beneficial to all of us in the room and that it'll make the next two weeks hopefully more profitable to us. The text that I want us to look at that's going to kind of push us um, in, in where we're headed today is a text that the Lord put before me from, from the prophet Isaiah, the words of the Lord in, in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 to 8. We read there, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it, and surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And there's a, a poetic, powerful image here 
as well as a really important contrast that's laid out that I want us to look at today. Obviously, the imagery used is, is to communicate the finite nature of life, and that feels very real to me, just seven weeks of life for our baby in the womb. The brevity of that is very humbling, and feeling and seeing the weight of that reality that death does come quickly is very real to me in this week. But this text doesn't just leave us with the weight of that. It contrasts to, while life is finite, life passes quickly, it fades rapidly, there is something eternal and unchanging and completely stable, and that, this text tells us, is the Word of God. Back in November, right in the midst of our first miscarriage and all the complications that were happening at that time, I, I read a book that I had had ordered and had on my, my list for a while. It was a book on grief written by a modern theologian whom I greatly respect. And I read the book, and over and over and over again, he led me back to the scriptures, back to the enduring, sustaining power of the word of God. Really revived my heart. In December, um, I mentioned before the, the birthday Christmas gift that my in-laws had ordered me was a, a collection of Puritan writings that had just been released, a bunch of classic texts. And as soon as they gave it to me, I took from the collection the, the classic text by Richard Sibbs, A Bruised Reed, and reread it, having read it over a decade ago probably. And Sibbs, too, took me back over and over and over again to the word of God, and it built up my heart, and it built up my faith, and I learned a lot from this pastor who first wrote this book in 1630, 391 years ago. But what he had to say spoke to me today in 2021 because it was built on the Word of God. And I found those books to be so helpful, and I knew my own soul, my own heart needed something like that again as I faced this moment of grief. And so Thursday, the first thing I did when I came over to my office intending to begin to work to prepare for today was I took down another book by another Puritan. His name is John Flavel. His book was titled Facing Grief. And I began to read it in order to build up my own soul. And through the course of two days, I read the book and I wrote down about 10 pages of notes from the book, things that were speaking to me as I was studying this, things that I needed to hear and remind myself and preach over and over again in the midst of my grief and my trials and my afflictions. And I, I share all of this with you this morning because I, I, I want to speak personally. I don't want to ever come into this place. And I, I've told you, don't ever come into this place pretending like something is different than it is in your life. It's okay to come in here on the end of a hard week, feeling weighed down, feeling some pressure, feeling the weight of life. It's okay to bring that in here because God invites us to bring those things to him. And so I, I want to be open, I want to be honest with you as my church family, and I also believe that the Lord will work through all of this, not only for my good, not only for my family's good, but for your good as well. There's a pastoral reason for me sharing these things and talking about the things I want to talk about this morning. I try really hard to live my life openly and honestly with you, those of you who um, have been here with me for, for many years, I hope you feel that and sense that. I really do strive for that. I'm naturally an introvert. I'm naturally, I was raised uh, in a way that, that I was told, you kind of keep things private and you, you, you hold those in. And I've worked really hard to overcome those things in my own personality because I believe God has put you and me together for a reason. He's called us to be a family. 
He's called us to live in relationship with one another, to be honest with one another, to find support and comfort from one another. Having gone through what we went through in November, it only reinforced my belief of how important that is. We did not want to walk through what we walked through in November alone and isolated. We needed the prayers and we needed the support and the care that you offered to us. And again, in this season, as we go through this in a similar way, but now a different way with this second loss, we need those same things. And so my desire is to live in such a way that would model what we ought to do in hard seasons like this. And I do that because I know the Bible's clear about that, and I do that because I know that that's what God has called me to do as a pastor. I understand my role here. I'm expressly told in Scripture that as a pastor, I am to set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And this text that Paul writes to Timothy, telling him this is, this is incumbent upon you as a pastor, it leads us back, I think, helpfully to the series that we've been in. It gives me the opportunity to show some of, of the behind-the-scenes things, perhaps, in my own life that hopefully will be an example to you because this text doesn't include in it any kind of excuse for the season we're in. Paul doesn't say, be an example when things are going really well, when things are smooth, when, when life is prosperous. Then, then, pastor set a good example. He says, in all times, in all circumstances, this is, this is the call. So I want to share with you today how God has helped my heart and my mind in these last few days as I've studied and as I've sought at him and as I've applied the things that we have talked about in the last nine weeks. The things that, that have been in our series, all these various spiritual disciplines that we have been talking about, they're not just nice things to do in good times. They're not just ideals that, that if things are going well, you should put those into place. They're not just concepts that help fill out a sermon series. These are practices that I am convinced we must be doing, we need to be doing, before we reach the hard times in order to prepare our hearts for them for afflictions, for sufferings, for trials that will come in our lives. You need to be working in these spiritual disciplines, applying these things now, so that when these moments come, you're ready. And then when the moments come, the more built up we are in these spiritual disciplines, the more we can practice them, and the more we'll realize how much we do need them in the midst of difficult moments. So, so just to, again, open my life as, as this imperfect but intentional example, in the last few days, I've worked hard to apply the things we've talked about in this series. I've spent as much time as I can in Scripture. I've been looking at familiar passages that speak to this type of situation. I've been rereading the stories in Scripture of how God has led people in the Bible through difficult situations and proved himself faithful over and over and over again. And I've been disciplining myself to think rightly about who God is and what he has said and what he has promised that he will do. I put the scripture into my life intentionally this week when it honestly would be a lot easier to say, not today. But I know I needed the word of God, and so I pressed in. Prayer has certainly marked this week too. And again, just to be fully transparent and open with you, the prayers on Tuesday, they were really brief and they were really simple and they were really raw. I couldn't really get much farther on our way to the doctor's office than just asking God, Lord, please let nothing be wrong. Please let our baby be fine and healthy. That was all I could pray. When it became clear at the doctor's office, that's not what God was going to lead us through in this next season. My prayers were just as simple. Lord, 
please draw close to us. Please help us feel your presence. Please give us peace and give us comfort. In these hard moments like this, if you've walked through this, there's a, there's a sense of which you can wrestle with guilt. If all you can do is offer small prayers like that, you might think it's not enough. Maybe God's not hearing me. Hear me say clearly to you today, these simple, personal pleas that you repeat, that is enough. God heard each one of those prayers. I couldn't, I couldn't give eloquent words. I couldn't pray long prayers on Tuesday or Wednesday, but that was enough for those moments. And God heard them. As the week's gone on, I've been able to engage my heart more in praying for other needs and praying more. It's part of where the disciplined nature of these things come in because it's not natural. It would be easier to say, it's a hard week. I'm just going to focus on my own stuff. But we're called to more than that. And God gives us strength for more than that. It's taken intentional work to apply these disciplines in my life, but I, I want to share them with you to hopefully encourage you and hopefully build up your resolve that hard times will come, suffering will come for you. And I want you to, to navigate through it well, to navigate through it better than I have. And if I can play a part in helping push you towards that, that's my goal today. So I've practiced other disciplines. I've been really mindful to try and write things down this week, to try and capture the things we're dealing with, to answer the question that I talked about before, to sense, God, what are you doing? What are you saying to me in this time so that I will be able, years down the road, to look back and see how God was faithful in these moments? And it helps. It helps me process the right here and now, and, and it will, I believe, benefit the future. I know it will help in the future because in November, the things I was faithful to write down at that time have helped me now. As I remember, God got us through a loss like this once before. As I looked and I read those things, I could see God's faithfulness, and it, it helped. It helped me personally in these moments. And I've done other disciplines. I've pushed into study. Like I said, I, I got a book that I knew would speak to my heart, and I knew I needed to hear the truth to grow in my knowledge of God and his word and what he may be doing. And so I, I read and I took notes, and I tried to carve out time to just find silence with the Lord, to try and find rest for my soul, because it feels, if I'm honest, I feel weary. My heart is heavy. And I knew I needed him. I still need him. And so I've sought him intentionally. And some of these things, they're, they're easier to do than others, but they've all been useful. Fasting this week, asking God, please draw close, has been good, has been useful. And I do it because, I, again, I want to try my best to to live these things out that I'm talking with you about, to demonstrate these are really true and important things for our lives. One of the most important ways I think this has shaped me in the last week is that it's really sharpened my sense of the importance of stewarding well the time that we have. For me personally, that's meant the last couple days I've looked differently at time with my wife and my kids. I want to see more clearly the gift that every moment is with them. I've tried to be fully engaged as much as I can, as, as, as much as my heart wants to be distracted. I've tried to bring that back and say these moments are a gift. And so I want to enjoy those moments we have together. Pastorally, I want to say to you here, it's been, it's been heavy on my heart to be clear about this today. I want us to steward our time well in the church too. It was important to me to be able to come here this morning and do this. Malia would have been here if she could have physically this morning. 
These gatherings are important. They're not just, okay, I've got nothing else that's as pressing, so I'll go today. No, it's, it's crucial that we would assemble together like this. You singing, me hearing your voices, singing those songs this morning helps my heart in a way that you, you won't know because you can't, you can't feel my heart. But I needed this. We needed to assemble together to worship. We need to grow together. And I want you to hear my heart, and I want you to know where I'm coming from in this, because, because I'm aware that we've been making changes, we've been adjusting things in our church, and it's because I'm longing to see us take good advantage of the time that we have. I feel this weight before this loss, I felt this weight, and now I feel it more keenly. Our time is short. We can't afford to waste it. These moments are very, very precious. We have so many good blessings here in this church. So many good things that have been good for so long. Such wonderful foundations built up. This church, honestly, I, from a human perspective, I can't justify why this church has been here for 97 years in the middle of nowhere like it is doing the things it's been doing for 97 years. Apart from the grace of God, there's been such good things happening here. Such good foundations to build upon. And I believe that's what we're doing. We're at a place now where we get to build upon these foundations that have been laid and go even further and see God do even more. And I get it. Changes are perhaps uncomfortable at times. But if the Lord's leading us deeper in our faith and closer to him, then any uncomfort we may face is, is worth it. So let me give an example. The Sunday morning time change that we're going through right now, that we're kind of leaning into. We've moved our morning start time up 30 minutes. And we're planning for this service to be not just an hour, but an hour and 15 minutes each week. And that is not a decision that was made from human hubris. It has come from a sincere desire and a sincere belief that if you and I will pursue God more, if we will intentionally create time and space to respond to him and worship him and seek him and hear from him and ask him to work in our lives, it's a sincere belief that he will do that that has led us to putting in a time of response at the end. Every single week saying the altars are open. We have a few minutes where we're going to sing and maybe you respond where you are. Maybe you come to the altar. Maybe you pray with someone. Maybe it's you and the Lord alone. Whatever it is, we're putting that time and space in there intentionally because I believe if we do that and if we engage in that, God will meet us. And that's my goal. That's, that's my heart. Facing grief and death this week has only sharpened this conviction in me. I want each of us every single week to come in here and feel God at work in our lives. That's the goal. And I hope and I pray, as, as I try to be open and honest with you, that it would motivate you to be the same. Like if, you have, if you have questions, if you're struggling to make the most of these moments, if you're struggling to see what God is doing here, I, have, I pray regularly, and, I, and I, I offer this, I invite you regularly, come and talk to me. I say all the time, I'm available to you all throughout the week. And I mean that. Call me, text me, email me, come up here, sit down in my office. Let's work through this together because the, the goal is so good. We can't afford to miss out on it. The time is, the time is short.
My desire is to see God work for good and growth in every life here. And we're building on such good foundations. I want to see where the Lord would take us as we go forward. I firmly believe that there is not a single moment in my life or in your life that is meaningless. I've been saying that to you from this pulpit for nearly three years now, and I believe it to be true. It's true for my family. It's true for you and your families. God is always at work. He's always doing something that is good and right, even when our hurt, even when our afflictions, even when our pride or our anger at times may make it hard for us to see God is working in all things that he leads us through. And so I've continued to tell myself that, preaching that to my own heart in the midst of affliction. I, I, I want to lay that on you, that this truth would, would make it so that when you walk into this place, you don't look at this as I've got this time carved out before I go do this next thing, that this would be moments that you realize are so meaningful, that God is here. He wants to work in your life. He wants to meet you. He wants to build you up. He's here now to prepare you for what comes. He's here to meet you in the needs you have right now. So going back and drawing on Isaiah chapter 40 and the book that I read by John Flavel, here's, here's what he wrote in 1674 that spoke to me 347 years later and will speak to you as I share. This is what God was doing the last few days in my own life. This is how I've tried to navigate through the grief and the affliction that I'm facing right now. Here's, here's a model for you, I hope, something to encourage you, I hope. Flavel wrote, The sweetest creature enjoyments you have had or will have in this world cannot say to you as your God does, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Though all things vanish away, blessed be God, there is something greater that abides. Though all flesh be as grass and the beauty of it as the flower of the grass, though the grass withers and the flower fades, yet the word of our God shall stand forever. This paragraph is what drew my thoughts to Isaiah 40 over the last few days. I'm in a moment where I'm grieving at the shortness of life, how quickly it vanishes here. And I want to live aware of that, and I want to make the most of every moment, and I want to take comfort in this beautiful truth that we find here, God's word abides, and he will never leave or forsake us. The word of God does speak powerfully, I think, especially in moments of mourning. It's guiding us in how we ought to think of all types of suffering and all kinds of afflictions and the weight of those things in our life. We need to hear the word of God speak to us. And so drawing on Flavel's words, I was reminding myself this week and preaching these things to my heart. The first point I want to share with you is this. If you are one of God's covenant people, though he may lead you through affliction... Yet he will never forget you. He is ever mindful of his covenant. The word of God says in Psalm 105:8, God remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded, he remembers for a thousand generations. The scripture should encourage us because it means that God's promises in his word, they are not forgotten. Even in the midst of sufferings, even in the midst of the world we live in today, what he says still stands true. And so there's great verses that I would encourage you to write down and start to commit to memory, at least the references for when you find times of suffering, know where to go. 
verses that will bring promises of comfort for us today and tomorrow and whatever may come. Psalm 34, 18 tells us, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Isaiah 40, verse 11 tells us, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead them. And Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. I've been preaching these verses to my heart for the last five or six days because I know that they are true for me just as much as they were true when they were penned. God has not forgotten me. He has not forgotten my family. He is near to us as we are in these moments, brokenhearted and crushed in spirit right now. He's still with us. He's tender and gentle and compassionate, and he's willing to revive and strengthen us as we lean on him now. He's not forgotten us. He's not forgotten his promises. He is still who he is. Flavel reminded me that mercy is at the foundation of who God is and of his relationship with his people. Psalm 86, 15 says, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In every moment that we face in our lives, we should find our hearts stirred up when we remember that God is always still merciful and gracious and abounding in love. Even when we suffer, he has not changed. Which means the beautiful text in Hebrews that we have talked about before, Hebrews 4.16, where we're told, so let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's a promise and an invitation to you and me today that we can go to him in our needs and our weaknesses, in the midst of our afflictions, we can come before him and there he is to meet with us mercifully and graciously. And the third thing that I would share from Flavel is this. Remember, you are near the state and place which admits no sorrow, no sadness, no grief, and no reflections upon any such things. See, the, the temptation when we think about death is to just think about loss and to look backwards. And the reminder of Scripture would be if we're Christians, not just to look back when death comes, but to look forward when death comes, to look towards what is ahead for us, what we are truly near, though we don't always see that. Flavel took me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, and here the word of God stirred my heart, and I pray it will yours too. Paul writes, brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, he means here dead that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, hear this, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
As we've looked at this text before, I've told you, Paul does not say that we do not grieve over death. We do grieve over death, but we do grieve differently because we have the hope of eternity. Because Christians have faith in the one who himself has conquered death, the one who has risen from the grave already, the one who's alive forevermore already, the one who will come back and bring us into eternity with him, it changes how we should view death. It should strengthen us and and prepare us for the reality that most of us, we will face death and then be raised from the dead Some Christians will be alive and will get to see God descend on that final day, but the comfort and the encouragement is not on the method, it's not on the timing, it's not put your hope in being alive when he comes back, you put your hope in the result. No matter if we live till he comes back or we die now, we get to be with him. Christians, this life will end and then we will be together with Jesus forever in perfect glory. For us, for Christians, this is good news. This is where joy can come back in to times of grief because we know this won't last. This, gets, this changes everything for us. It changes how we look at life and how we cope with death. Let me just say, if you're, if you're not a Christian or if you're playing at being a Christian, you're trying to, to let people think that you're something that you're really not. Let me be clear. Let me be direct. As I've meditated on this this week, you need to hear this. Death, death is coming. And it's coming far faster than we like to admit. Isaiah 46 through 8 tells us how short of a time our lives really are, right? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. All of us are fading quickly. And if you are not fully and completely trusting in Christ alone for salvation, then I I pray that as you think about death, it's a sobering thought for you. Because the Bible's clear, it's appointed once for a man to die, and after that will come judgment. And if you are not in Christ, if you are not trusting in Christ's work, if you're not relying upon him to forgive you of your sins, then the judgment that's coming will be eternal judgment, eternal punishment for your sins. Non-Christian, hear me. This is serious and this is sobering. You need to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. You need to understand he is truly God. He is the true Lord of all. He is the one and only Savior who can forgive you of your sins. Don't rely upon yourself. Don't rely upon religion. Don't rely upon doing enough. Turn and trust Jesus. Apart from him, there is no salvation. And if you hear something like this, if you look at death, if you feel the sadness and the sting of grief as you walk with people around you suffering these things, but you don't look to Jesus, you're missing the point. Death should sober us up to these serious realities. And I pray it would if you don't rely upon Christ today. I pray this is the moment you choose to. And Christians, we, we do mourn death here and now. I'm mourning the death of my fourth child, the second one that I will not get to hold or meet in this lifetime. 
But the faith that I have in Christ combats and restrains my grief. Because the hope of the resurrection speaks to those of us who trust in Christ. I'm looking forward to eternity. I know that there's a better day coming. I know that these trials and afflictions in these moments, they're real and they're very painful. But I know that right now I'm not alone in them. And one day they will end when I go to be with God in glory forever. And so what's happening in my heart is this wrestle where joy, thinking about what's to come, is fighting back against the grief that I'm feeling because of what has happened. And it takes place because I know one who has suffered far greater than I have to give me a future far better than I deserve. The suffering we face in this life is heavy and the death that I mourn is close to me, but I know that Christ has done more than just mourn death being near. He has himself suffered death for our sake. The suffering and the death of Christ for his people is at the very center of our faith and to remind us of how central it should be in our lives, Christ has ordained that we would have a tangible, physical means of reminding ourselves of his suffering and his death for us. If two of our deacons would come this morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as it sits here in front of us. In terms of how we will do this, the, the way we've, we've done this the last several times is in, inside here we'll be passed in just a moment or two uh, disposable cups that are stacked together. There's bread in the bottom cup and juice on the top. When it comes by, just take one stack and you'll have both the items. You guys can begin to serve us this morning. If you're not a Christian today, then I'm going to ask that you would just let these things go by and don't take them. Eating and drinking them is not going to save you. In fact, if you partake of the Lord's Supper without faith in Christ, without repenting of your sin, without believing that these things point us towards and represent a far greater reality than this moment, then the Bible tells us we're eating and drinking sin. Don't do that today. But if you're a Christian and you don't need to be a member of this church, you don't even need to regularly attend here if you're a guest with us today, then you're welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a moment that's to be shared as a moment of common ground, a moment of unity, a moment of coming together and feeling and thinking, reflecting upon the same things. It's for all of God's people, no matter what tribe or language or nation or tongue we come from. If you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, then he invites us today to come to his table just as we're invited to come to his throne and find mercy and grace for us. Taking the Lord's Supper like this is a very practical way to help us practice meaningful mourning in our lives. And the items that we have here, they're symbols of death. The bread that you hold in your hands represents a body that was broken, that suffered, that was afflicted greatly, all the way to the point of what that juice you hold in your hands represents, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. These symbols are to remind us of death, Taking the Lord's Supper, it's an act of mourning, but it's an act of more than just mourning. It reminds us of the death of the Son of God himself. And as we hold these things, it points us towards 
an amazing reality of the mercy and grace and love of the one whom we have gathered to worship today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes, I, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What was about to transpire was a suffering on the part of Christ far greater than any suffering we face. It was leading to a death that he himself would suffer for the sake of those who would believe and trust in him. He went and had his body broken so that you and I would find hope in the midst of our brokenness and our suffering and our afflictions. I pray that this is more to you than just a piece of bread. In fact, let's pray together that this would be more to you than just a piece of bread. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for what we've just read about what the Lord Jesus did on the night of his betrayal, the night of his crucifixion, how he gave us this tangible, physical reminder that he has suffered for us. That today, whatever heaviness we come into this place with, whatever suffering we are facing in our life, whatever afflictions we may find ourselves under, this bread is to remind us you too were a man of sorrows. You too have suffered. You know pain. And so Lord, we come to you humbly asking, remind us of your suffering so that we would find peace and comfort as we bring our hurts to you. We ask that this would be meaningful to us in these moments. In your name, let's take the bread together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Points in this week, the suffering for me has felt overwhelming. And the shed blood of Christ reminds me that he went all the way. He suffered more than I have. He gave his life for me. And so no matter what I feel in this week, no matter what you feel in this week, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what is happening around you, you can go to one who went all the way to the point of death for you. Let's take the juice together. These symbols that we have taken together remind us of his death. But they should also remind us that he did not stay dead. Our mourning is meaningful today because our mourning is not without hope. The command of Christ is that we, his people, should observe the Lord's Supper like this for a time. A time that is limited. A time that will come to an end. He says in the very next verse, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
in taking the Lord's Supper together, we're proclaiming and remembering his suffering and his death and what that means for us, but we're also to look forward to his return because he rose from the dead. His body was broken, his blood was shed, but he is alive now. He is the risen Savior. He is the God who is working right now, who gives us mercy and peace and grace, who will fulfill his promises. And so we'll close with a time of response this morning. With a song, Wendy, if you and the team will come. Like I said, there are no wasted moments in our life. And so the next few moments, there are a chance for you to pray. There are a chance for you to lift your voice and sing. Maybe a chance for you to just silence yourself and let the Lord speak to you. But these moments matter. And I want to encourage you to make the most of them. The altars are open if you want to come to the front and pray. I'm available to you if you want to pray together. Come and get me. But let's respond to the Lord in these moments. Let's ask him to make our souls be still, that we would hear from him and sense his presence. Let's worship the Lord together.